Hello and welcome to another edition of Linking the Travel Industry right here on LinkedIn, where we discuss recent news events that uh, particularly relate to the travel industry. My name is Rian. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Agentivity, where we help travel agents achieve insight, control and growth over their data. And I'm joined as usual by the lovely Anne and Ash. Uh, welcome, guys. <laughs> Hello. Thank you so much. Good to be here again. Um, so I'm Anne. I'm an independent consultant in the travel industry and happy to join you. Over to you, Ash. Did you notice how you called the lovely Anne? <laughs> I did. <laughs> And then you said, then you said, Ash, and changed it to Anne very rapidly. Yeah, so now, yes. so now we're all confused. But um, yes. good morning, everybody. My name is Ash, and I'm the host of a weekly business travel podcast called What's Up in Business Travel, where we give you all the important updates in business travel in another 15 minutes. Additionally, I'm the vice president of sales at Traxo. Well, you're both lovely, of course. So let me just say that on the record. There we go. And speaking of being on the record, just a reminder for those in the audience. I mean, first of all, thank you for joining. It's really nice to see um, some familiar faces once again. But just a reminder that we are recording this session. So if you do come on stage, that will also be recorded. And this is turned into a, a podcast where um, Ash will tell us more details about that at the end of this uh, session. Um, the format of this discussion evolves around a, a post I do on a Friday where I talked about some news items. So let's just go through those quickly and then get to any other items. And also, I, I know we've asked some people like Felix, etc. to join us today on stage. So when we get to your topic, uh, Felix, I'll ask you to raise your hand and we do that. My first story last week was around, uh, again, with a bit of alliance news, starting with Sky Team getting a brand new CEO in the form of Patrick Roux from uh, Air France KLM. Didn't raise too much excitement or discussion. Um, Ash, I'm sure you've researched this man to make sure he didn't come from another industry but um any thoughts from you either of you on this story i'll let the lovely Anne begin today (laughs) (laughs) no just you know um i I don't know um patrick brew uh and i i know that he comes from air france all i can say is what i typically say that i really hope that the alliances will lead the way more when it comes to technology and change for the better and progress uh, which is something that I think, sadly, we haven't seen that much of. So um, let's hope that, you know, he goes down that path. It's a good move. He definitely does have some nice experience from around the world. So he's been in the Americas, in the Asia Pacific. And so he's got a nice global background. So I think that with him coming on board, I think we're going to hear a lot from SkyTeam. And not to mention that Virgin Atlantic recently joined SkyTeam as well. And by the way, so did LATAM. Now we have a nice global mixture there. Yeah, absolutely. Moving on, it was good news to see that Heathrow has finally removed their passenger cap. I saw Clive Ratton from the BTA comment about that um, with, with a nice post. You know, all I can say, it's about time. So, you know, happy that they did that. And hopefully uh, Schiphol can follow soon. But I, I actually see the opposite uh, in that I saw some recent posts by um, KLM and their challenges they have with the Dutch government putting pressure on them to reduce their flights. So um, I don't think that's going to happen soon. But at least Heathrow seems to be back in, you know, business and open for business Um and um, did you see that post? I did, yes. And I was really, really shocked by um, the increase of cost for business traveler that has gone up by, was it 30%? That, that was pretty staggering, shocking. And yeah, I'm also curious about Amsterdam and Schiphol. Uh, I mean, it's not as if KLM has many other options, right? They're kind of stuck where they, where they are. Exactly. I, I feel quite sorry for them. Yes, it is. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It hasn't happened just yet, right? So the official date is the end of October. I think it's the 29th or something like that when they lift the cap number. So let's see what happens in London first. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, true. 
flare that's reducing their capacity by up to 50%. There's always a bit of a glass half full, half empty view on this. Some people are saying, no, they're doing fine. They're just adjusting to the winter demand. And some are seeing it as a, as a sign that they may have some challenges with their cash flow. What do you make of that? And which one, which, which yeah, one of those two camps are you in? Lots, lots of discussions about this airline. I mean, you know, they've really been, we've noted them several times, haven't we, re- recently when we've been talking about FLIR. I guess why my personal interest is, of course, that, you know, FLIR position themselves as a very new modern technology airline, the first one to actually go fully one order with the IATA concept. And you were really hoping that they would um, be very different and, and very progressive. I actually don't know what to make of it. I mean, winter schedules always have to be reduced if you are in, in that space of, of a lot of holiday travel, which they are. So that's nothing new. Um, but of course, 50% is quite dramatic. Maybe it just uh, sounds really big number, but it's the normal number that needs to happen during the winter months. And maybe because Mm -hmm. of the pandemic and other things like that, there's been a conscious decision by them to do this so that they can take the cash flow and make it last longer. Yep. Yeah, mm. maybe. I mean, it kind of yeah. relates to the the next one, North Atlantic. I mean, the story I posted was about the fact that they've received their UK Civil Aviation Authority certification. So it means they can fly to and from the UK, which is great. But um, I think, Anne, was it you or somebody else posted about it? They also reduced their schedule, right? Yes, they did. Actually, I'm going to say something really dumb and stupid, but... Haven't they been flying already from the UK? Am I totally... I'm so glad you raised it. So it's not just me who thought that. Because <laughs> I, I could see ads where they were advertising yes. London to the States for, you know, you know, very good fares, etc. So I was wondering that as well. But I'm wondering if this doesn't allow them to fly without going back to the home base, right? So they can fly direct. Okay. I could have sworn I've seen posts and stuff about flights from from the uk to absolutely to the US. maybe it could be yeah yes. i mean i i see a lot of positive um feedback about north and their service um i saw recently there from berlin over to to the us so really good really good fares and and seems to be a very good concept uh, but they also of course are reducing their schedule i would expect that i i don't think the the transatlantic has picked up what i keep hearing is that the flights from asia to europe are full 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 i mean it's full everywhere but not so much when it comes to transatlantic your thoughts on that ash are you seeing the same thing yeah, I think so. And, you know, the Asia Pacific market is now reacting to how Europe reacted maybe four months ago and probably how the U.S. reacted six months before that. We're seeing that the passenger counts are increasing and Asia Pacific is going to go through the awakening period now. You know, you see a lot of the news stories coming from Asia Pacific about airlines and airports and hiring and all that kind of stuff. So that's all good news. So, you know, we're going to see a lot of um, movement from there. But from a transatlantic perspective, now we're going to see the, the norm and the decline kick in because summer's over and winter settling in. And I think all these airlines are seeing their numbers uh, for the winter and they're making some conscious decisions. And I think it's all smart for them to do that and to reduce capacity because I think that that's what's necessary. The overall numbers of travel are not what it used to be. So I think these airlines are really making a good business decision. Yeah, making the most of the exact opportunity, right? And um, yeah, that's, that's you know, a good thing. 
Moving on, some news from the States then. I put this in there because I do think it's important. It was quite a big big change for them. But the Traveler Meeting Society, or TAMS as we know them, they launched a membership scheme. Ash, this is in your part of the world. I know you're very involved in TAMS. Do you want to just tell us the significance of this? Yeah, I think that this is uh, going to be a pretty big deal uh, as time goes on. The Travel and Meeting Society was an organization that was created because of the pandemic. And of course, during the pandemic, when it first got started, a lot of the people in the industry uh, lost their jobs. And so you had a large volume of really smart and very uh, resourceful pool of people not working for anybody. So the Travel Meeting Society was started during the pandemic, and it really brought together all these people in a really nice way. So fast forward, now it's evolving and it's taking its first big step into membership. And so now you can be a member of the Travel and Meeting Society. You can just go to tamstravel.org and uh, all the details are there. And as Rian mentioned, I am definitely involved in this organization. And I think that they're a great group of people, very, very smart people. And it's uh, definitely worthwhile looking into. And of course, many of you on this call are from the Asia Pacific market and the European market. So I encourage you to take a look at them. And uh, if you find it to be of interest and at least join or at least sign up to receive their updates and newsletter. Yeah, I mean, I've been personally a little bit involved by just being engaged in one or two of the initiatives there. And I have to say, you're right. The people involved there are very smart and it's really nice to be um, communicating with them and learning. Uh, So I've been enjoying it a lot. And so, yeah, I'm excited to see where it's going. Um, Anne, have you been involved in TAMS at all or do you know them? I do know them. I haven't been involved. Um, I have a very good friend of mine, Debbie Thomas, who is. I think it's just a great initiative. Well, then there will be no reason why you wouldn't be a member soon, Anne. (laughs) Look forward to it. (laughs) The next on my list was all relating to Hong Kong, uh, sort of three stories that, that relate to Hong Kong and came up. The first one was about uh, Virgin Atlantic deciding to close its offices mm-hmm. there and, ca- and cancel flying there. I know, I mean, if you read the story, you can see the sort of heartbreak in there. They've really been trying to keep that open and keep flying there, etc. But they, they couldn't. So they just can't make the economics work. And so they've closed that. And before I ask for comments, let me just mention the other two stories because it's very interesting to see how they all relate because United is doing the opposite. So they, they're planning to restart their services there from January. And also Hong Kong itself announced the giveaway of you know some half a million tickets to the island in what looks to many as a desperate attempt to revive its once uh, thriving tourism sector. I didn't realize this, and Suzanne, I can't pronounce her surname, but Suzanne, who I connected to on LinkedIn, she posted about the conditions you have to meet to go to Hong Kong now, and I didn't realize it was still that strict. There's there's a bunch of tests and loops you have to jump through to actually be able to go, so I'm not sure that will be successful at all, but interesting how all three of those stories about Hong Kong popped up or relating. And what are you making of Virgin closing its Hong Kong route? I mean, that was a, I mean, the association of Hong Kong and Virgin Atlantic is so strong, right? Yeah, it's really sad, isn't it? Very. It is. But but I guess, you know, it's not financially viable anymore. I mean, I fully understand their decision. It sounds to me like a lot of, of business is being moved from Hong Kong to Singapore. It seems to be changing a lot over in that part of the world. And it's interesting how United can make the, the economics work there. But mm. of course, they've got a lot of other feeding points for that route. So I'm sure that's why. Ash, what do you make of this? It's kind of sad, right? I mean, I think Hong Kong is done. 
just from a, a tourist perspective, from a business perspective, I don't think it'll ever be what it used to be, just logically speaking, and from what we've seen in the news over the last several years. So Hong Kong, from a global perspective, I think is done. Um, from a Sky Team perspective, there's enough airlines, I think, that are going into Hong Kong. I don't think Virgin Atlantic needs to replicate that anymore. So it's part of the alliance uh, membership, right? So once you join the alliance, yes. then you look at the alternatives and you see, you know, am I creating any value here? And if you're not, then I think it's smart for them to back out. It might hurt. But again, Hong Kong is just not Hong Kong. Now, there's a T-shirt. Hong Kong is done. I, I do I, I do share that. And it's, it's really is sad because it has been one of my favorite destinations. I mean, I'm sure the destination itself will still be there, but I know what you mean. I think the whole, I don't know, ambience or connections or, you know, the way you go there, et cetera. It's, it, is, it is sad to see that. It's interesting you mentioned that Sky Team connection, but of course, I didn't think about that, but that would have been probably a final nail in the coffin in that decision. So, um, yeah, quite right, uh, making the economics work. So And gone are the heydays of the uh, carriers flying irresponsibly of profits, right? It's, uh, it's all about making mm-hmm. it profitable now. And I think that's good, right, for the airline yes, industry. Absolutely. You know, you can't be doing these things anymore. Yes. And, you know, I mean, you already have Delta, you have KLM, you have Korean Air, you have all these airlines that are already doing that route. Why do you need to do it? No, absolutely. It should definitely be about profitability. Can I say Hong Kong is done? Did I say that? <laughs> yeah, so we got the T-shirts in the making, so... My next story was relating to the news from Scandinavia that um, SAS Scandinavian Airlines is proposing quite a dramatic change to their distribution model as of 1st of March next year. There was plenty of discussion on this from many posts. It's a very strange uh, change they are proposing. But before I let the cat out of the bag, Felix, welcome. Do you want to do a quick introduction and then also just tell us what is different about this model that SAS Scandinavian Airlines is proposing? Sure, Ian. Thanks so much. Thanks for, for having me. My name is Felix Daniger. I'm the founder of um, Oyston Advisory. We are a company focused on helping airlines deal with um, distribution strategy and commercial strategy. We've worked for Lufthansa, for Qantas, for Emirates, so for a number of big guys, but also smaller airlines, trying to help them um, navigate the distribution space, which has always been fairly conflict-ridden uh, when it comes to airlines, the GDS and, and the travel agents. And so we're on firmly on the <laughs> on the airline side, helping them there. Yeah, so with respect to the program that Scandinavian had, has announced, there's some similarities, but also some differences as to what we've seen with other carriers in Europe. So there's going to be a, a cost recovery component in there. It's it's a bit hidden because Scandinavian has chosen to call their program a distribution commission, but the commission element is really just the starting off point. And then depending on who you use, for your distribution needs, um, there won't be much left or anything left of the commission and you'll end up paying as an as an agent for the distribution services. That's at least if you are located in, in Scandinavia. Essentially, you start out with a booking, you start out with a credit of between zero and 250 per half round trip. And then you have to deduct from that whatever cost you cause the airline. Um, so if you're using a GDS and the airline pays $10 per booking, the plus 250 will turn into a minus 750. That is, unless you talk to your distribution provider, your GDS, or you look at an aggregator model or just some other provider of SaaS content. And I guess the, maybe the one comment still to make is what's different about it um, if you compare it to the Lufthansa model or to France KLM or to IAG is that SAS has chosen to pass the cost on to the travel agent rather than to the passenger. And that's probably the biggest difference in terms of where the cost will land, at least in the first place. 
Thanks, Felix. You you mentioned a few other challenges on your post. You talk about how popular this might be, this upfront commission of the agents, and we haven't actually heard much yeah. from many of the agents. I suspect they're scratching their heads around this a little bit to get a proper understanding before they probably comment. And also the fact that it's limited, right, to just those agents in Scandinavia for now. So there's a bit of an imbalance between an agent in the US and, and an agent in Scandinavia. Um, and then your last yeah. comment was about the potential legality. But before we get onto that, so if I'm an agent in the US now, it's business as usual, right? It just goes on. Effectively, yes. SAS is sort of picking up their GDS costs for me. But if I'm in Scandinavia, it's a different story. Is that a good decision? Um, I mean, I understand why, because of course, it's, it's already quite a lot of work just to get those contracts updated because they are enforcing this on all agents in Scandinavia, so there's going to be a lot of work that has to be done. But don't you think it will drive a bit of um, cloak and dagger point of ticketing innovations by some agents to get around this? It's a good point. I think it very well might. The rationale behind it, as you said, is probably launch the program or implement it where you feel you have the market cloud to do so. But it'll be interesting to see how the agency community reacts. And, you know, the, the US agent might be pretty far away, but for example, a an agent in Germany or in France might be pretty well positioned to um, sell that SAS content under the old commercial arrangement, at least until Scandinavian decides to expand on this. There are a couple of items here that look vaguely familiar. I don't know if any of you were, I know Anne probably was um, sort of following Lufthansa's first move out of full content in 2006 to 2008 um, with a preferred fares program where they also limited the scope of the program to their home markets, Germany, Austria, and Switzerland, plus also the, the fact that they're billing the agent rather than the customer. So there are some similarities. It's not entirely novel to sort of limit it to the home market. And what are your initial thoughts on this uh, model and some of those comments that Felix made there? Exactly. Felix is, is spot on there with the parallel um, structure that Lufthansa initially introduced and was later changed. But, you know, I, one thought that, that is interesting, I'm also, I also think that we're going to see more on ticketing issues, and which is already here today. We know that there are plenty of, of agents that use the opportunity to ticket really at um, whatever choice they, they make, and they have the capability to do so. Something that strikes me about this is that it's quite admin heavy. I mean, don't misunderstand me. I think it's, well, all of us here, I think we can agree on that the financial model, like Ash uh, very often says, is broken. We need to do something about, like we typically say, if only agents actually paid for technology and we didn't have the incentives and, you, you know, they would pay for the technology provider instead, things would be a lot easier in this life. But it does strike me, and I'd love to hear Felix's opinion on this, it strikes me as rather admin heavy. That's my initial thought on, on this uh, with the ADMs. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. I think it will be no insight as to SAS is handling this internally, but you're right, Anne. You'd have to have a monthly consolidation of the mm -hmm. of the ticketed segments. You need to produce a summary ADM for that. You need to have the ability to use the ADM for that purpose. Sometimes the contracts can be fairly limiting with respect to how and when you can use ADMs, other than for fraud or or, or misbillings. So yes, I think it will be admin heavy and also probably difficult for work on the agency side to reconcile mm -hmm. and to see, you know, is this is this ADM amount the, the correct amount? Because exactly. um, yeah, it'll it, it is going to be admin heavy. It, it strikes me as a bit of a brute force type of a approach. 
I would absolutely agree with that as well, and, and not just that, but also the policing of this, like we've just mentioned, making sure agents abide by the rules and don't ticket elsewhere. And um, I think also for the agent, from, from the agent's point of view, if this detail is so critical to the agreement, they probably want some sort of extra check on that volume of data and auditing of that data yes. as well. So that's going to yeah. add um, you know, costs, and yeah. et cetera. So that is a concern. The last point in your post, Felix, was around the potential legality uh, around this from the um, contracts that's in place already between Amadeus Sabre and, and Travelport with, with SAS, but also um, something I want to ask you about the um, exposure of the actual GDS costs to SAS, because if I understand this correctly, SAS is saying they will be sharing with the agent what it costs them in that channel, and uh, isn't there potential breach of contract uh, challenges there, or confidential information between SAS and the GDS that might be exposed. wanted to ask you, how do you think they might get around that? That's yeah, probably the $50,000 question, right? Whether they have the contractual freedom at the moment to actually do this or whether they're hoping, you know, to pull it off after the announcement. SAS is currently in Chapter 11. So if they don't pull it off, they could always still reject the current contract and say, you know, before we end up being a breach of the current GDS contracts, we'll just reset to zero, essentially. The, the Chapter 11 process therein gives them essentially a, a get-out-of-jail-free card, right? They, they could have signed, I don't know, three years ago, a 10-year distribution agreement. Under Chapter 11, you can get out of all of those uh, long-term agreements with no questions asked, essentially. So that, that may be one way. So in terms of what's in the contracts, of course, I, I have no knowledge of, of what's in the agreements. Commonly, there are some fairly broad and far-reaching so-called non-discrimination um, clauses or provisions in these agreements that would typically prohibit an airline from differentiating between GDSs most of the time, but also sometimes very often between GDSs and other types of aggregation or distribution channels. So whether they are able contractually to do what they're doing at the moment, I think time will tell. And also we'll see how the GDSs will react, whether they believe um, SAS is within their rights um, to do what they're doing. In terms of the confidentiality and how they will recover, I'm, I, I've read the announcement a couple of times now. They say the, the amount will vary that they ADM between, I think it was 0 and 10 or 0 and 12 dollars, something like that. What 12. they didn't specify. 12. Was it 12? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah thanks. 0 and 12. Um, yeah, what they didn't specify, I think, is whether they will make a GDS specific. So like Lufthansa mm -hmm. is doing the surcharge is, in a G, is a GDS specific surcharge now since a couple months, which requires a higher level of contractual freedom than airlines usually have. What I think SAS could still do if they are concerned about that specific non-discrimination aspect, they could always still charge a blended um, ADM amount, you know, from take the average price of an Amadeus Sabre travel port booking in Scandinavia and say, we're billing you eight or whatever the the number is, rather than five for Sabre, seven for travel port and six for Amadeus, just to pick some, some random numbers. I'm not sure they've committed explicitly yet to say we will ADM a GDS specific amount. I have to note uh, that they've been very careful about saying aggregator and GDS cost in the same breath, even in the announcements. Yes. So it suggests yeah. that you're on the right track there, and they somebody legal has looked at that for sure, at least. Ash, do you have any thoughts on this before we ask uh, George to share his comments? First of all, Felix, thank you so much for joining today's uh, call and really appreciate your insight into all of this. Uh, it's been quite fascinating. 
one thing I will say <laughs> is that SAS better not bring this uh, model to the U.S. market because uh, we kind of suck at math and we're not going to be able to do a good job with trying to reconcile all of these costs. And whether it's a dollar fifty or two dollars or half a dollar, uh, it'll be too much effort for us to do this. So uh, to the CEO of uh, Scandinavian Airlines, please keep this model over there. Speaking of CEO of Scandinavian Airlines, this guy, Anko, um, he's been in this job for about a year. And obviously, he's come to uh, Scandinavian Airlines under a very difficult time. But talk about a totally crappy idea of epic proportions. I mean, who thought of this idea at Scandinavian Airlines? And how did he approve such a horrible, horrible measure? Is there no better way than to make things even worse than they are today? And then finally, I'd say that, you know, there is another model. There is a, another way, which is to let the agencies pay for distribution and to pay for content. I mean, that model will work really well. And if you do that, then you get rid of all this stuff. I mean, the amount of effort that a TMC will have to go through to reconcile avoidance of these debit memos, the amount of effort that Scandinavian Airlines is going to have to put into place with all the manual I'm sure this is not automated. It's all manual. So there's got to be people sitting there with their calculators, typing stuff up and figuring out who got charged less and who got charged more. So I cannot believe that in the year 2022, moving into 2023, that this is the best that Anko van der Werf could have come up with. And I'm sure he can do a way better job than this. Their announcement letter? SAS is on a journey to take our company back to profitability. They should have added and to chaos because we really don't know what the heck we're doing here. Pretty brutal words from Ash there. By the way, loved the comment of Ash. Ash, it was really, really great. And uh, Felix, a great analysis as well. Thank you for being here, guys. I just wanted to, on this discussion of the airlines part, so wanted to just remind you that for, let's call it the indirect channel for the airlines, the travel agencies, let's say revenues, is practically, uh, for the airlines, is that 20% of the travel agencies produce usually the 80% of their revenues. So this 20% uh, for every market is practically the top 10, top 15 players. So uh, most of those are either the big TMCs or um, OTAs and um, or consolidators that um, they are NDC ready. They are already polling with a direct API uh, on an uh, NDC level with the, most of the airlines. So as far as I understand is um, when I saw that, the uh, their idea, I believe, coming out of how would I cut some costs uh, and from where I'm cutting them. So I practically leave my main players more of which they are already having the possibility to back the tech behind polling into getting the full content out of uh, whatever I'm selling as an airline and push my direct channels, which they cost much less. And for the rest of the, I just come up with uh, my cost cuttings from there. Now, I, I wanted to say, George, that actually that's how the Scandinavian and Nordic market is different because it is not direct connect ready. <clears throat> it is a market that's been, you know, one of the few left where you don't, where most airlines who've tried to introduce direct connects have had little or really zero progress with that. I mean, we even had FLIR, right, moving into Amadeus for distribution, uh, which is, you know, a low cost airline that should actually be headed for direct connect. <laughs> 
just want to mention one thing that is an interesting one, and that is that Lufthansa has started to classify the Apple AirTag as a portable electronic device, which must now be switched off in flight. So that means everybody who's invested in those to track their luggage can't do so anymore. And I thought that was an interesting one. There's definitely a story behind the story there. Ash, what do you think? I think it's causing interference with the plane's navigation systems. Oh, you think it's actually real? I think it's causing embarrassment for the airline to not be able to tell their customers where their luggage is, but that's... <laughs> the phones went to 5G. It was chaos. These, some of these planes are old and their equipment is not sophisticated the way you know we would expect it to be. And so I think that this is a real issue. That's uh, Ashish believing the story itself without questioning the, the bank wow. story. So that's very interesting. What are your thoughts then on the Alaska electronic bank tag? The Alaska one doesn't emit anything. Right, there's a difference between that. That one's yeah, just a just read, it's like a boarding yeah. pass. Okay, fine. Mm-hmm. So I had some other stories, but um, before I do, Anne and Ash, did you have any extra stories? I have to talk about space news. So Wednesday, SpaceX and NASA. I don't know if you watched it. Crew five went up to space successfully. Everything went really, really well, and then the uh, astronauts, four of them, got to the ISS space station. And what's really cool about uh, this is that. The people that were on the plane, you had two Americans, you had a Japanese uh, person, and you had somebody from Russia all together on one aircraft flying across space. And it was a great achievement by SpaceX and NASA. So wonderful job, as always. All we really want to know, Ash, is if they've diverted the path of that meteorite or whatever it was they smashed into. Did that happen? We don't have the information, but I will be sure to give everybody an update as it comes out. And yes, that's did, good. Did you have another space story for us or something else? <laughs> I'm actually with you on the Apple theory there. I think it's an embarrassment to the airline, actually. I think that's what it's all about. So I'm, I'm with you on that one. Absolutely. So that, I think, wraps it up from my side. Thank you for those in the audience who listened in today and uh, participated as well. Again, Felix and, and George, thank you so much. This is a sign-off from me and uh, just a reminder that we do this every week. So over to you, Anne and uh, then to Ash. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening in. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining today's session. We host this LinkedIn audio call every week on Monday, and it's all about linking the travel industry. Please, please, please share this event with everybody that you know. If you enjoyed today's session, chances are that others that you know will as well. And for those who cannot make it because of time zone or availability, we do make this session available as a podcast on businesstravel360.com. This is Linking the Travel Industry, signing off.